freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 293 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our theme today is gun food. Mm-hmm. And our guest is Patrick Collins. He is the CEO, CEO of the gunfood.com, an economic quick process ammunition supply company, and a contributing owner of Georgia Firearms and Security Training Academy. Patrick is also very active in supporting gun rights on the local, state, and national levels. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Hello, everybody. How are y'all doing? We are awesome and excited to talk to you because what is the huge watchword for this time in our lives other than ammo, which is <laughs> what you are referring to, I believe, when you say gun food. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. That is absolutely correct. My guns are hungry right now. Yeah, no doubt. We got a lot of hungry guns. That's the, the truth. And so what is happening with the ammo supply in the United States and how are people supposed to effectively train when ammo is so scarce and unfortunately a little bit expensive right now? Well, of course, there's no replacement for training with with live fire. Um, You really do need live fire. However, there are other ways that you can train. In addition to that, there are more, um, more successful ways of training and limit the amount of ammunition that you consume on your range time. So um, there are different drills that you could practice, um, you know, understanding reset. If you you follow a reset drill versus a a mag dump drill, you definitely would save ammunition there. So there's there's different ways that folks are, need to learn how to shoot differently. Very good. So as people all around the, the nation are hearing you say that maybe that is a, maybe that's a a question they could ask a new trainer that they're considering hiring to help them. And that would help them also narrow down, you know, who might be the best trainer for this particular moment in history. Is that, is that reasonable? Oh, that's definitely reasonable. Um, There are, there are very different ways to train, just like there are different ways to learn and everybody learns differently. Um, so one of the things I tell most of my students is get to know your, your instructor or your trainer. Um, a lot of folks have former military and, and former law enforcement, and I'm not knocking them by any means, but their primary objective uh, when they were in their capacity was to serve a certain purpose uh, for the military. It was to defend the country, uh, both foreign and domestic. For law enforcement, it was to serve and protect the communities. Um, their training, um, that the way that they were trained is very different as well. Um, a lot of military has discipline based training, uh, where, you know, it's basically enforced through strong words. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, your average, you know, 70 year old woman does not necessarily need to have grilled into her how to shoot. Um, she needs to learn how to operate her firearm. Uh, in a safe manner, which is very good. <laughs> Absolutely. And then I think you you kind of touched slightly on how personality of of the trainee and the trainer, it really is important that that that's a fit, that there's a good mesh there. Uh, how on a scale of one to ten, how important do you think that might be? Oh, it's extremely important, especially if you are truly concerned with everything that is happening. Um, if you're looking to defend yourself 
and in a self-defense situation, and you're dealing with someone who uh, is, you know, former special forces that knows how to get the job done, but they don't know how to relate to some of the laws that you might have to deal with afterwards. Um, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So mm. special forces person, I mean, yeah, if, if the objective is to um, neutralize a threat, uh, sometimes their version of neutralization is very different than what yours needs to be as a self-defender. Boy, that's, that is really key. And, you know, it's not like we want to be, you know, we want to dumb anything down, but we do want to feel like our needs are really being met and we're not just, you know, another cog being put in the same wheel of, and we're having to conform to the trainer that the trainer can really understand, you know, where we live is important. The kind of home we live in is important how we carry, where we carry is important in how we train. You know, I wear a lot of dresses. I dress very feminine and I never open carry. So if I go to a trainer and all he knows how to teach is open carry, that's not going to be the best fit. So there, I think there are an awful lot of things to, uh, to consider. Yeah. I, I recommend to all instructors. Now I've been through all different instructors. I am not former military myself. Uh, I am a uh, I am taught through competitive shooting, but um, uh, when I tell some of my instructors, hey, you're probably not teaching this correctly, even when I am in their classes, uh, some of them take offense to it, some of them actually take it back and say, hey, you know what, you're right, I should not be yelling at uh, <laughs> Yes, please. On or please Susan. no yelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not my um, favorite. <sighs> because a lot of times they rely on, you know, just regurgitation of, of, of authority. Uh, and, and that's not a good way of learning, especially when you're trying to walk down the street with a smile. I mean, not, not everybody who has a gun is sitting there growling, waiting to shoot somebody. I mean, that's <laughs> not what we're here for. That's not what we're here for. Absolutely. So, so Patrick, you wanted to, before we started the show, you wanted to talk about the legendary gun counter tales and myths. Mm -hmm. yes. We have a gun yes. shop, so we have a few yes. of our own. We were yes. very curious about it. <laughs> I'm sure you guys are aware of my first, uh, biggest issue when it comes to uh, gun tails, which is uh, what you need is a revolver and you need this 44 Magnum and you'll stop this guy right then and there. Uh, right, right, yeah. There have been so many classes um, that are like that, or especially with women shooters, and this is the biggest one that's that's mostly up and coming, is the shrink it and pink it um, motions now where it's just like, use the smallest gun possible that will be cute and it fits in your purse and this and that. And, <laughs> and the next, you know, they bring it to my range and, and I'm like, okay, let's see how you, well you control this tool that you're trying to use to defend yourself. And they are letting it blow them away. And I'm like, listen, this is gonna scare you. Um, in fact, I recall I had, this, uh, I had this young lady and I knew she could handle it. I knew she was a very strong minded woman who wanted to protect herself and she said, I bought a little 22 because that's all I can handle. And by the end of it, by God, she was putting holes with 45 through the same hole. Wasn't afraid of using any firearm that I had there ready for her to use. And she was like, you're right. I don't need this 22 anymore. I need something bigger. <laughs> well, back in the old days, in the late seventies, I had a gun shop and it was completely different back then. First of all, women never walked in the store. If they did, they were picking up ammo for their husband. And, <laughs> yes. you know, so it was a Sounds myth. so sexist right, right. Now. Well, that's what it was. I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm, you know, all right. You have to You're just relating about, news. This I get is it. what it was. And so, you know, we had the mindset that a woman needs a revolver because they're not going to shoot very much and they're going to need something that when they pull the trigger it goes off mm -hmm. and they're going to be weak and they're not going to be able to rack a slide back but back in the 80s we had a very limited type of firearms anyway the glock had just come out mm -hmm. so they had the glock and smith and wesson had the model 39 i think it was that was a little hard to pull back but you know things have changed now and i mean i've changed a lot in our shop we do not fit a gun to a person. We let the person come and tell us what they want. And we try to educate them to go out and we don't have a range, but we tell them to go to a range, shoot a couple of guns, find something that fits you. Don't listen to your husband hmm. and find the gun that fits you comfortably. And then the main thing is to, to do is get training. Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right there. Yeah, we lead with questions, you know, so that we can help them 
you know, discover for themselves what is the best fit. And that whole pink it and shrink it thing that uh, I might want a pink gun. This is true. Absolutely. And, and like our daughter, she loves all the colorful different guns. I'm very tactical black because I'm like, I don't if I need to use that thing, I don't want it, you know, glinting in the, the light somehow and giving away my position. But um, but when you shrink when a gun is small, that seems good, right? Because maybe my hands are smaller, or I'm trying to hide it in a, a small purse or whatever the case may be. But also, if it is a large caliber, there is less bulk of the metal to absorb the energy of that projectile going off. And it hurts sometimes to shoot some of those smaller guns, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I tell most of my students when they're firing for the first time, if they've never fired before, this will be a sensation that you've never felt before. However, in the heat of a moment, you're going to make sure that you're using it correctly. Um, I always, I always have a rubber mallet with me and I, and I go ahead and pick up this rubber mallet and they pick up the rubber mallet as if they are going to use it. They grab it by the handle. And I say, that's the exact same way I want you to handle a firearm by the time we're done with this lesson. And, uh, you know, they, after, after a full blown lesson, they're like, you're right. I need to handle this. This, this can't be just something cute that I want to hold with a couple of fingers that I'm afraid of. No, if I'm going to use this and deploy this weapon, I better have a good grip. Uh, I better have a nice stance. Um, you know, I may not be able to even get to that point, but I make sure I got to make sure I have to control where that barrel is pointed and, and make sure I'm effective when I'm using it. Oh, absolutely. And I love that uh, analogy uh, and, and living that out of, okay, a hammer, I'm familiar with that. I know when I use that hammer that I can't, you know, have a very soft grip or, you know, I have to, you know, really get a good hold on it. That's a, an excellent way, I think, to convey that. So determining which tool is best for each individual person is sometimes, you know, difficult, you know, it's a journey for people, but determining what ammo, you know, what caliber you want that tool to be, that's a whole uh, lesson in itself. You know, we've got aluminum versus steel versus brass. You've got- Do we even get a choice nowadays? Well, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, is it available? You know, is it an expensive round, you know, uh, caliber? So how do we navigate that whole piece of the journey? Okay, so the first thing you need to do is identify your objective, right? Are you using it for training purposes? Or are you using it for when you want it to count, you need it to count, right? That's your defensive purpose. Um, a lot of folks, they get very picky when it comes to their ammo. And I understand that some ammo does not feed as well. Some ammo doesn't shoot as well. However, if you are at a static range practicing on a static target, controlled environment, it really doesn't matter. As long as they allow you to use steel, you can use steel. If they allow you to use aluminum, some ranges actually don't allow you to use aluminum, uh, which is really unusual. But um, if they allow you to use aluminum, Go ahead and use aluminum. If they if they say only brass, use brass. Um, there there really is no difference between bang and the objective is to punch holes in paper at that time. Now, when it comes to defensive purposes, you do not want to use a full metal jacket um, uh, because of overpenetration, and we know what happens with that. Basically, the round will not transfer the energy into the subject that you're shooting. Uh, and or into the target that you're shooting, in, in which that can become a bigger issue because um, you can have clean shots, clean through and through, um, which when you're not transferring that energy, you're not as effective in stopping your target. Yes, you are wounding them, but you're not stopping the target. You're not transferring that energy. Um, and then uh, as far as caliber sizes are concerned, um, you know, nine millimeter and 45 have been around for a very, very long time, since the early 1900s. Um, uh, 40 uh, was an up and growing caliber back in the early 90s. However, um, when the nine millimeter technology really started to develop with the defensive jacket hollow points 
and, and just hollow point uh, ballistic development in general really helped out. Um, nine millimeter is as effective as pretty much any other uh, round that's out there. And then you got the 380s as well. 380s work pretty well at stopping. Um, not my personal first preference, but uh, 380s do work. Um, and then, of course, you get like, you know, the 5.7s and the 10 millimeters and, you know, the, the bigger rounds, of three, you know, the 38s and the 44 magnums and stuff like that. Those will work as well. However, just because it's bigger or faster doesn't always mean it's better. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you touched on a, a couple of words that, you know, depending on where you live, uh, these phrases might have uh, taken on a, a sinister sound, you know, like maybe in the city or the state in which you live. Jacketed hollow point. Oh, my goodness. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I and my rule of thumb for my own life is if something if someone is trying to cause me to feel afraid of a particular thing that just makes me want to go and do my own research like okay what is it this is probably something that's really good for me but you know they're trying to scare me off for some reason and so what is the benefit of something this this sinister sounding thing called a hollow point bullet <laughs> so when, when you are using your firearm and you're operating it to defend yourself, um, different from a range time where you're just trying to punch holes through paper or you might be shooting the watermelon or whatever you're shooting, um, it's basically, you're just gonna go through, right? However, decorative hollow points are designed to cup and open up and blossom open. And what happens there is you're transferring that linear energy into the media that you're shooting it into. Um, so it's designed to transfer the energy. And I know there are some states, uh, New Jersey and New York, I could think of off the top of my head, where they're trying to say that jack the hollow points mean that you're trying to kill somebody. That's not true. You have a lot bigger things to worry about legally <laughs> than the type of ammunition that you use to defend your life. You're trying to justify why you're defending your life not with what you defended your life with. Um, that's just like saying, well, he hit me with a, a, a school bus instead of a Ferrari. And, and it, it's completely irrelevant. And, and hopefully, you know, juries, and if you do bring it down to the case level, hopefully they'll understand that the, the type of ammunition is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. It's action that caused you to have that reaction that's more relevant. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that you should learn about in your training, uh, from my own perspective, is just that very thing. So if you are using, you know, a, a friendly sounding projectile, a friendly sounding ammunition bullet. Uh, Ball and, ammo. <laughs> yes. And it does over penetrate. Okay, you've got bad guy broke into your home your goal is to protect your life and the lives of your family members. And so if you shoot bad guy to stop him, to, to stop the threat, and that ammunition passes through him, instead of stopping him and stopping with him, well, where is that going to go? That might go and then harm the exact family member that you are trying to protect, right? And so these are things... Yes, overpenetration can be a very unsafe and deadly thing for the people that you're actually trying to protect. And so uh, I just encourage people not to buy into the, you know, the PR that, you know, well, this bullet is is nice and friendly and good, and that bullet is bad somehow. Well, we need, <laughs> you need to use ammunition that will stop the threat, mm -hmm. not wound the threat, not slow down the threat. In, in some states, you cannot shoot somebody purposely in the leg to stop them. Right. It's against the law. Yeah. You have to, your life is in danger. You are you to, to stop the threat, so not yeah. slow it down, stop it. And I don't think that there's any police departments that I'm aware of that use ball ammo for uh, in their duty guns, except yeah. for training, yeah. because they yeah. have to stop the threat, right? It needs to be a true stop. That's correct. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So we, we don't want to use the word to 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 kill someone, but, you're but to stop them, them 
from causing you any harm. Absolutely. It's never our goal. You no. know, our goal is protection of life, right? right? right. So they put themselves right. in that position. Absolutely. Right? It's on them. So getting back to like, you know, your friends, your, your husband, your neighbors, your trainer, who, you know, they maybe have an area of expertise and, and they, you know, want to impart their, their knowledge. That's all good. That's good stuff. But sometimes the way that they do it can actually be a little uh, unhelpful. And so how would you say, how bad is it when well-meaning people begin a sentence with, what you need to buy is? Oh, boy. I, I, I love when I heard and when I hear that all the time. I have students that will come to me and just be like, well, I was told I needed to buy this or that, whether it's a... Um, you know, I'll use the analogy of a revolver again, or, or you know, I need to buy a, a, a 38 because that's the biggest cartridge that they have, or, you know, whatever gun tails that there is about it. Um, unfortunately, there's no way that we can control that, right? I mean, we all were in school at one point in time, and we were told to speak a certain way, right? And, and everybody now has these different accents. Yeah, learning is slightly different, which is okay, because the end objective is we all understand each other. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, the way if you were to go to an overseas place, sometimes they may not understand you. And the same thing happens with firearms. You know, just because you were told that it's a certain way doesn't mean that it's always right, especially during applications. Um, so, yes. Uh, I recommend holsters for everything. I, I, reckon, I recommend the biggest caliber that you can carry and successfully, you know, deploy towards your target. But I am not going to tell you that nine millimeter is better than 45 or you need a revolver instead of a semi-auto pistol. I'm not going to tell you that. Absolutely. What us. That's great. And so just circling back to the biz the business and the business name, which I just love. I think it's so clever. Uh, thegunfood.com. What is what is that exactly? Are you helping? Are you like a broker? Are you helping other people find ammo? Are you an ammo manufacturer? What exactly do, does thegunfood.com do? So I I used to compete um, pre uh, can I use the C word on here? <laughs> pre uh, <laughs> virus. <laughs> uh, yes. So um, pre virus, I used to compete. And then when the virus struck, I was still receiving my shipments for my competitions, right? So, you know, four to 5,000 rounds a month. Mm. Um, and so I started to stack up and I said, hey, slow down a little bit here. I, not competing as much, so I'm just kind of sitting on this ammo that I can't even shoot because I can't. He said, "Slow down on the ammo receiving." <laughs> he said yes. it's before you the need COVID to immediately training. get off the phone right now and go to the doctor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know, I know, and, and I kind of regret because I know what I was buying it prior. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But um, essentially, I was starting to stack up on this ammo, and I had all different types. Uh, I shot in three gun competitions. I shot in USPSA for handguns. Um, but now, um, uh, when I when I started teaching, because teaching came back before competition came back, I would go out and make these connections all across the country. So I make connections with uh, different um, ammo reloaders, ammo suppliers and distributors. In fact, I have a Phoenix ammo shirt, which have been in the news recently. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been making these connections with these manufacturers. Uh, and when you're trying to teach, you know, 100 people in uh, Texas or, or 2000 people in Detroit, um, it is very hard to get that much ammo for them, especially if you're 25 to 50 rounds per student. Mm -hmm. uh, so you make these connections with these distributors, uh, you, you stay in connection with them, and then you start networking. Now I have instructors that I've worked with all across the country that are like, hey, I have a class of 20 people that need ammunition for them. Can you help me out? 20 people might be 4,000 rounds. I can do 4,000 rounds. You just let me know when I need to ship it. Absolutely. Nice. That is very good. You're going to be a super popular guy if you're not already. So. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been very busy. In fact, I'm 
little scared that Uncle Sam's taxi came up now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, I'm worried yeah, about that too. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Been a good year. Yeah. <laughs> it has been a good year. Oh my. And Uncle Sam is about to reap the benefits of our labors. But right? that, yeah, and that's that's really smart. I mean, you're you're helping the community with trainers that need ammo to train students students. It's not like you're helping Joe get ammo. You're helping trainers get ammo to help the students be trained. One of the things that I really enjoy about it too is that um, these instructors were also connecting me with their students uh, prior to even them going to class. And then I can inject my little tidbits of, you know, this is what you're going to need for the range when you shoot. And this is what you're going to need to load your firearm with when you have it staged for defensive use. And they're like, what does that even mean? And I said, well, ask your instructor, but I'm telling you right now, you're going to need two different types of ammo. This is not a simple, you know, a bullet is a bullet. No. Are we seeing any break? It seems to me that there has been a little more ammo coming in lately. Have you seen any uh, break at all? Yes. Um, so the prices are starting to come back down on certain um, on certain calibers. Uh, nine millimeter is starting to bring it back down. Uh, I know it reached a peak of about seventy cents, and um, right now uh, it, it's somewhere in the sixty sixty five cents, depending on the round and manufacturer. Um, what really stopped the manufacturers from from uh, producing as much ammo? was of course the influx of new shooters, uh, which uh, we've had quite a bit in the past year. I don't know what the official number is, but I know it was as of August of last year, I think it was 8 million new firearms owners. Uh, and it's projected to be around 14 million new. Um, so you, you can just imagine if uh, 14 million new people are like, hey, I need as much ammo as you do. Well, <laughs> even that's, two boxes. That's, yeah. you know, that's- that's 28 million boxes of ammo in a year. That's probably more than what they've sold the whole year, yeah. you know? So. Exactly. And then you have the elections, which uh, always ramp up mm-hmm. uh, ammo demand. Um, and then you have some, um, I'm in downtown Atlanta, uh, where we have a lot of crime and crime is on the rise here. So you have folks that are like, you know, I kind of need uh, firearms to protect myself. Um, and in some cases it is true. And so all of these demands are starting to, to bring into the, are being mixed into the pot. In addition to the fact that manufacturers had COVID restrictions. Right. right? So they don't have the same production that they used to have. Uh, their employees do not feel as safe working in the environments. You know, a lot of ammo manufacturers are, you know, uh, folks that are either immunocompromised or sometimes even just you know, they don't want to be around people. So manufacturers that had that issue and then the component supply, that's another big one. Um, where we receive a lot of uh, primers from China, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And when trading stuff with China, that, that caused a little issue. Mm-hmm. So whole bunch of things, it's like a perfect storm that has made ammunition very hard to get. Right. Absolutely. Right. Just to clarify, because everybody loves to uh, misunderstand things and take things out of context, when you say that elections always cause uh, people to buy more ammunition, what what do we mean by that? (laughs) Uh, I think it means, and you tell me if I'm right or or not, that there's always, in, in recent history, the last few decades, there's always a platform that is trying to come after come after our guns, right? And yep. and somehow restrict our rights. And so before the election happens, before we know who's gotten in, I think that there's this this rush to try to make sure, okay, I, I want to be sure my reserves are good. Is that is that your understanding of it? Absolutely, yes. Uh, so yes, I mean there are there are folks out there, uh, whether they are right or wrong, that believe that um, uh, gun rights can be taken away, and I definitely feel as if they can be taken away at a moment's notice. They could be wiped away. Um, however, what folks will do in reaction to that is either overbuy um, and hoard, or um, 
he'll, uh, even some of the folks on the opposite side that don't think your gun rights will be taken away will still go out and buy a firearm and be like, well, I don't want to risk it knowing that it could be taken away. I had some friends, some personal friends of mine that actually went out uh, who, were, who were not supportive of firearms, but knew and understood the threat of the potential of firearms being taken away. And they went out and bought firearms um, just to have them. Um, and, and, and so this perfect little mix of uh, uh, anxiety has caused everybody to go out and say, I need is whatever I can get, I need. Yeah. And, but we see also the guys that, you know, that buy the ammo, they wait in line at Walmart, and then they go and sell it for 10 times the amount that they paid for it. That's not really helping the industry. And, you know, gun shops, like our gun shop, our ammo has gone way up. But it's because I'm buying it from the secondary market. Mm -hmm. I'm buying mm -hmm. it from people that had it already. And I'm, I'm paying what I have to pay to get it. And I'm actually making less money per round than I was when I was buying it for $9 a box. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you know, it's, it's bad all the way around. I wish to me, people say, oh man, you're lucky you're doing well. And I said, you know what? I wish it was just normal. <laughs> just just make yeah. it normal. If a guy needs ammo, he can come in and buy ammo. You know, I want to have a yeah. pallet of every, brand, every caliber of ammo on my floor and that people can just walk in and buy it. I don't want this, this demand like it is right now because it's not, I don't know, it's just, it, it makes it harder to yeah. do business, but yet it's not, it's not unpleasant to have lines out the door. I'm not going to, I not mean, I am a capitalist but, pig, so. No. <laughs> yeah. You did bring up a good point though, about uh, big box retailers and that's something I, I definitely want to touch on is some of these big box retailers, the Walmarts, the academies, the, uh, I don't want to mention the D word, but about mm -hmm. another one, those guys, they have contractual agreements with ammo suppliers and, and folks forget about that and they don't really understand the economics behind it. So when those guys are selling you a box at, you know, 20% less than what you or I might sell them at, it's because they have these contractual agreements where they are taking, where they have a minimum that needs to be purchased and that's all that they're getting. That's also why they also have restrictions on how much ammo you can buy at some of these big box retailers because they're trying to spread the uh, amount of foot traffic that goes in and out of their doors. Um, and so I get a lot of folks that are like, well, I could wait outside of blah, 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 sporting store and, and get, you know, two boxes at $13. So why are you charging me $35? And it's like, because they have these contractual agreements mm -hmm. that these big, huge 18 wheeler, 50 foot, 53 foot trucks deliver ammo to them and they eventually their contracts are going to end up, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and their negotiation teams are working hard to drive down the cost as much as they can. However, eventually their prices are going to go up too, um, because of the, the, the amount of demand that we have and the lack of supply that we have. Right. Absolutely. And I don't know, but I, my, myself personally, I, $13 a box versus $39 a box, but I wait for four hours outside. Yeah, I'll just pay the $39.95. <laughs> just get, make sure I can have it though. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, is, wait in line and then it's <clears> gone when you get there. That is the worst. I hate it when I don't have product for my customers. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I just hate it. Yeah, when, when yeah. lines really were, um, what would we say, maybe six months or so ago, when lines, you know, every morning there was a line outside of our store, uh, we would try to, you know, have one of our staff members go and pull the, the people in the line and just, you know, if there was somebody you know, 40 people back. And, and we knew that by with the time we got to them, if what they were kind of trying to get was nine millimeter, we would try to advise them, you know, there's a chance, but you're probably, you know, not going to be able to get it from us today. And people really seem to appreciate that, that we didn't just, you know, let them squander their time uh, just so that we would have the foot traffic. Yeah. But, um, but all that takes thought and pro and time and, and uh, that sort of thing. And, and not every store's got, you know, the ability to do that, but thankfully um, we did. And, and Danny was pretty, pretty dang good about oh, keeping we, stuff. I was yourself. so blessed. I was able to get ammo. I, I, one guy was, it's an individual had 14,000 rounds of nine millimeter. Call me up, says oh. I need to sell my ammo. I want to get out of gun. I want to get out of guns. And he sold me the 14,000 rounds of ammo. And I paid a lot for it. I mean, a lot more than I would for my distributor. 
I mean, like three times what I would pay from a distributor, but we were able to have ammo mm -hmm. and no limit ammo. And then, then I'm out of nine. Now I get maybe a case a week from my distributor, one case a week last the first two hours of the day. Yeah. But I, yeah. I'm starting to see a very a variety of ammo and things seem to be breaking free a little bit. Plus the demand isn't as strong. There aren't people waiting in line uh, at the store anymore. So that's kind of good. So uh, I hopefully we'll see it get back to normal because from what I understand, like federal, they're running the presses 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. You know, it just takes time. They're not, they're not holding back. Mm -hmm. So. Absolutely. So um, you and I, actually all three of us are going to be in Florida in a very short amount of time at an event put on by Florida Carry. It is called Freedom Not Fear. It is a speaker event. It is happening on Saturday, March 20th in Summerfield, Florida, which is near Ocala, which is sort of near um, Disney World. Everything in our life has to do with Disney something. So I've always got to anchor it there. Um, tell us how you got involved in this event and a little bit about it and what you, you plan to share there. So uh, one of the main, one of the main uh, event coordinators there, Kevin Sona from Florida Carry and I, we had a, a breakfast one morning when we were at uh, the uh, gun rights policy conference. Uh, she was in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we've both been kind of following each other and helping each other out. I am a member of uh, Georgia Carry, which I guess you can call, uh, uh, you know, Florida Carry and Georgia Carry brothers and sisters, since they are just south of us. And um, basically, we uh, we decided that you know what, it might be nice to have myself go down there and speak to some of the folks about different things, especially when it comes to instructing. Now, when I spoke at the gun rights policy convention this year, um, I definitely hit on the head some of my instructor level uh, uh, gripes, if you will. Um, and so uh, he wants me to speak to some of that down there, as well as uh, there's a diversity panel, which I believe you are either moderating or... I yeah. am. I'm Looking super excited. Moderating panels is one of my favorite things ever. So, and to have you on there is just like bonus. Oh yeah. I am looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. We have a very diverse group on this, uh, on this panel here. We're going to talk about all different things of whatever comes up and each one of us has our own uh, take on it. And, and that's what I'm looking forward to is showing folks that, you know, there are, there are different opinions and that, for the overwhelming majority that we all are pro to a we are all are looking to self preservation self defend and we are we are here to help each other out so i'm be nice fantastic yeah i am so looking forward to that um part of the reason is because it has been so long since we have had a chance for people to actually be face to face Right, because this past year gun rights policy had to go virtual and so many events either were canceled or went virtual. And as we were, you know, gearing up for this, I kept seeing Kevin uh, Sona, as you mentioned, of Florida Carry, you know, on our chat thread saying, I am going to make this happen out of sheer force of will that we are going to meet in person and and have this moment because I think it is it is the most impactful way to help people um, understand anything that you're trying to convey to them. And when you have something like gun rights in a year where it, there's such a, a, a concerted effort to create division and misunderstanding with all these new gun laws they're trying to push through at the federal level and all the different states that are you know, trying to play that game, uh, to have people come together and, and share and exchange ideas, I think that is invaluable. And so I, I appreciate seven Kevin for putting this on and for everybody that's traveling, you, you're just coming from Georgia, you say? Yes, yes. And we're, we're coming from Arizona, so we win the mileage uh, game, but. <laughs> yeah, but we're going, you know, we're not gonna just do that. So don't let her fool you. No, we are definitely gonna take some time and enjoy that beautiful state, so. Um, I am just excited that you took the time, you broke down, uh, Patrick, some of these uh, questions and issues that 
you know, maybe people don't ever th even think about, you know, uh, how one caliber might be better or worse for their particular uh, instance uh, of need than another, um, how to interact with trainers. These are such important things. And I so appreciate you taking the time and coming on here with us today. Could you tell folks just as we're wrapping up how they can continue to follow you and uh, if they're a trainer, how they can get connected with you at thegunfood.com. So I always recommend everybody to visit thegunfood.com. And one of my accolades was I had well over 4,500 email subscriptions on the site, uh, even before I launched it back in um, August of last year. Uh, so I had 4,500 folks that put their email in saying, we want ammunition. Um, with a website that said coming soon. Mm -hmm. You you go there and you put your web, if you put your email in, we send out monthly emails with discounts uh, and with uh, just general knowledge, uh, general information. Uh, go there, sign up, shoot us an email. I have three people that work for me. Um, we respond very quickly. Um, and most of our orders, if you do place an order with us, it goes out that same business day. Um, a lot of people are surprised. In fact, I had one customer who received his ammo. He ordered it, I think it was a Thursday night at 8 or 7.30 p.m., got it out the door before UPS closed, and he received it at 8 o'clock the next morning. Wow. Oh, you had a yeah. happy, happy customer. He was extremely, he was like, I can't believe that your ammo came this quick. And I said, neither can I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's phenomenal. Um, so we've got your, your website, gunfood.com. Are there, are you on social media sites at all? So I am not on social media right now, uh, besides my personal stuff, which I feel free to add me if you want. My name is Patrick Collins, but uh, social media right now has been blocking and very much uh, deterring any type of pro 2A anything. Um, they do not want to promote violence in any paper matter or form or what they consider violence, uh, which is really, really upsetting for me. Um, but yes, I am on, uh, I am on YouTube. We do have a YouTube page where we demonstrate some of the differences. In fact, we just did a body armor uh, demonstration um, on YouTube and that's called thegunfood.com. If you look up thegunfood.com, you'll see us up there or the gun foodie. I'm sorry, the gun foodie, because I also like food too. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great, uh, clever twist on that. So the, so the YouTube, um, any other places people can find you? No, just, just our website. If you sign up uh, for emails, you'll receive the emails and, and the gun foodie on YouTube. Those are our two main uh, places right now. We're trying not to support Facebook in their efforts to mute us. So uh, you look for us there. Fantastic. Well, we so appreciate you. Patrick Collins, CEO of thegunfood.com. I will see you soon in Florida. All right. See Thanks, you. Thanks, Patrick. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Yes. Bye-bye. Thank you. And you know what I keep forgetting to say, because we've done a couple of these interviews about the event happening in Florida. It, this is the year 2021. You know, because sometimes people will listen to these shows, no. you know, like three years later or whatever, and then they get excited Might about an event coming up. Might be a little too late. So that is uh, March 20th. It's a Saturday of 2021. Uh, tickets and information available uh, through Florida Carry, uh, their website, their Facebook pages, that sort of thing. And uh, it's going to be a great day of some really high level speakers. The diversity panel that Patrick is talking about, you know, whenever I'm involved in something called a diversity panel, it's not just, you know, that, that surface level, oh, we're going to have a bunch of different skin tones sitting up there. No, we're talking about diversity of life experience, diversity of training, diversity of, you know, their own personal experience. These are subject matter experts that come from a wide variety of backgrounds. That's what we mean by diversity. And I am telling you, the Second Amendment advocacy and activism community is, it is a slice of America. It's yes, a slice it is. of Americana. It's every man. It's every woman. It really is. Not just experience. the old white haired 
guy anymore, is it? It isn't. You know, I don't know that it ever really was, honestly. Do you think it ever really yeah, was? Yeah, I kind of do. I, I think that it might have changed in the late 80s. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, what really gave the gun industry a big boost is women. Hmm. Because women share. Mm -hmm. Men kind of keep to themselves. They might have a, a friend that they share with, but they kind of keep to themselves. But women, if they do something, they tell the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that has caused it and that which got other people involved. Yeah. That, uh, you know, so it helped. So. Yeah. Uh, women are very social creatures. You know, we like to, you know, well, I mean, we even go to the restroom in pairs, right? So. <laughs> The guys don't do that. No, they don't no. tend to, no. Um, but I, I, sometimes I think you're right that, you know, maybe there, there wasn't always the same level of diversity. And in other ways, I think that maybe there was the diversity, but there just wasn't as much of a need to talk about it publicly, talk about our interest and our, our protection of the, our Second Amendment rights, our Bill of Rights, our Constitution. But the more that this became a politicized issue, because the Second Amendment is not a political issue, it is completely apolitical, it is for everyone, uh, but it has been turned into this political football that the, the R's and the D's are, you know, uh, kicking back around uh, all, all over the place. So the more politicized it became, I think the more that people realized, you know, I want to be recognized as existing, right? Female gun owners, we, we exist, we're out there. Uh, people in the LGBTQ community, they're like, no, we, we do own guns. Yeah, but, but we, I know, think that Asians the and, and Blacks. LBJQ, whatever that organization, I can't say it right. But you think about that organization that it wasn't the gun thing that made them become part of it. I think it's more the political issue about their rights to be whoever they want to be, which then they go, well, wait a minute, we have that right. We also have the rights to defend ourselves, which we need to defend ourselves because there was a lot of hate for that group at one time. Yeah. And so, and you know, the, the, the good thing about it is everybody gets to protect themselves. They have a right to protect themselves. Exactly. And so I, I still think, I think the political issue, the political part of it was true. That's what caused all this expansion. It wasn't the gun issue though. It was just this everything, everything, all rights. Yeah, I, I've been saying that for years that if you have ever been part of any uh, group that has suffered, um, you know, any kind of subjugation, uh, then you should be on the front lines fighting for every single syllable of every single constitutional right, including your right to keep and bear arms. Right. If you've been discriminated against in any form, uh, that this is your issue. It's a civil rights issue. And if you have a right to be who you want to be, then you also have the right to defend yourself. And you need to make sure that if you're fighting for your rights, you have to fight for every right. Mm -hmm not just speak speech, mm -hmm. not just gun ownership, mm -hmm. but the right to be who you want to be, mm -hmm. the right that your neighbor can't infringe on your right to be who you want to be. Mm -hmm. That's what you need to do. Absolutely. And that's what I think is happening. And that's why I think that the, the gun movement is getting stronger because it's the core. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, what a great conversation. What a fun day this has been. I want to thank our guest today, Patrick Collins, CEO of thegunfood.com. And also thank all of our listeners. You are the most amazing people that you take your time to tune in, to hear subject matter experts. You're educating yourself straight from the expert's uh, mouth. You're not just relying on you know, this pre-chewed and partially regurgitated nonsense that passes as news these days. You've taken the time to spend here learning. Many of you, I can see the stats on our, our website, are then going to the guest page, the guest tab on gunfreedomradio.com to learn more about each guest and then click through 
and read about if they've written a book or if they've done other interviews or their videos they they've made or whatnot. That tells me that this is a launch pad. These conversations are sure. a launch pad for people educating themselves. And there can be no better compliment in my mind to, to the, the work that we do and to the people who take the time to come on as our guests. So thank you so much. And so if you want to watch any other of our videos that are archived, you can watch on the smartphone app called Ops Lens, O-P-S-L-I-N-S. You can go to YouTube as long as they haven't booted us out the door. And you can go to GunStreamer, which is a YouTube style, um, but very pro to a uh, video hosting site. And for the audio only, if you don't have time to, to watch us have these conversations and you just want to listen as you're mowing the grass or you're taking a, a Sunday drive or, or cleaning the house or whatever it is you, you're doing, just go to our website, gunfreedomradio.com, click the On Demand tab, and... You can binge listens to your heart content. Oh, you did so good. Darling. No, I don't say darling. He always says I say darling. I well. I mean, I have. But anyway, it's a great resource. Thank you so much for spending time there. And as we get on out of here. Pray for our nation. Mm -hmm. Pray for our leaders representatives representatives you people say leaders in positions again. of no, responsibility leaders we don't have leaders and we we're not supposed to have leaders we're supposed to have representatives i agree it's true we are the leaders of our representatives so pray who's for the leader of the club it's made for you and me <laughs> that's us we're we're the leaders the citizens because the the government only has the power that they derive from the governed. So we're the leaders. So yes, you can still pray for the leaders because that's us. We got the power. We got the power. Okay, now it's going to be stuck in my head. All right. And so what What about if there's some representatives or leaders or whoever that you don't like? Vote them out. Can we still pray for them? Though? Oh, yes. Well, yeah, pray that they get a job afterwards. <laughs> pray they get another job. Ah, what about the... Maybe especially the ones we don't like. We should pray for them. Pray for them. Vote them out. Okay. Them. All right. Until next time, be good to each other. Have a great week. And God, God bless. bless.